Thanks for tuning in to the Awakening Church Podcast. This is our School of Faith channel, and you are tuning in to our four-week class on the Enneagram, using the Enneagram as a spiritual tool for transformation in Jesus Christ. How are we doing? Good. Yeah. It's our last night of class. (laughs) So... Tonight, you guys, instead of doing, I know the last three weeks we've done icebreakers at your table, I kind of want to just open it up and do like group discussion tonight with what you've learned. So just to recap, right, we talked about the very first class, I opened up this verse for us, Ephesians 2.10, I'm going to read it. So it says, we are God's workmanship or masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do any of you remember the Greek word that I said was the translation for masterpiece? Anyone? Poema. Yes, poema, poem. So, right, we talked about this beautiful illustration of we are God's poem. And so when we're rooted in Jesus, we become more like the poem or masterpiece he's written us to be. And that's so beautiful. And so with that, right, that's our identity in Christ. In addition to that, it doesn't stop there, right? So it says we can continue to do the good works that he planned for us long ago. And so we start talking about how this good work can sometimes get, unfortunately, like distracted because we can get so caught up in identifying with, well, what do do people think of me, right? What do I do? That's my identity. There's all these different like constructs we use to define who we are. Um, So the Enneagram is used as this tool to really help reset that and reframe and be like, well, how can my sanctification be made specific, right? So using the Enneagram as a tool to make it specific. Um, And we talked about how sanctification is the process of being made holy. And so the Enneagram is this tool that we can use to be like, well, here are some certain sin patterns that my number might struggle with, and here are the ways that I can reflect Jesus through the transformation, right? So for you guys, after we've been, you know, through this for four weeks now, hopefully that was a little refresher to jog your memory. I want to know, like, how has it helped you with your walk with Jesus? Whether you didn't know anything about Enneagram till like the last, till the class, maybe you've been studying Enneagram for years. Like, what are some practical ways it's helped you? Don't be shy. Come on. What have you even learned from this class? Maybe something that wasn't, you know, as clear to you before that now is. Well, I could certainly relate to the, you know, the, the healthy side and the unhealthy side of my time. Yeah. And I can see that I'm under stress a lot. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so scattered. Yes. It's yeah. It's kind of like the unhealthy seven. Hmm. Uh, and I love how it correlated with Myers Briggs. Totally. So I yeah. Share I know. Got to do a part two on Myers Briggs. <laughs> yes. I think when it comes to loving not just our neighbors, but like anyone and mm. everyone that we encounter, like when it gets the most challenging to love others is when there's like a lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. And this is really, the way that I see it is like a tool to like gain deeper insight Mm -hmm. into what's going on in someone else's mind so that like I can better love them. Absolutely. In the way that they want to be loved, not just like how I prefer to show love. Yeah, so good. I was going to say also that this is the 
any gram, at least the way you're teaching it, it's more, more practical in Myers-Briggs because mm. it shows you know, that there's just a lot of practical, yeah. more practicalness. Myers-Briggs, you can see your, you fit into one of the 16 mm. types and you kind of explain it, but yeah. here there's a lot of practical uh, applications and directions you can totally. move. Totally. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, that was the whole point of this class, too, is I know we can get so caught up in, like, well, what's my number, and, like, talking about our own, but really the goal was just to, you know, go through all nine, so you guys all have a really distinct understanding of all nine types, because we all have friends who are every type, right, so how do we, how do we, like, love our friends the way that they need to be loved, how do we understand them the way they tick, all of that. Anything else? Yes. I think what I like about it is that, as you learn about each number, there's, like, a certain, like, thing that we tell ourselves about mm. ourselves yeah. or others tell us about yeah. us and most of it is like kind of a lie and like totally. we believe it and we buy into it but like mm. there's truth in our identity through Christ and that's just like the gospel yeah. like redemption of everyone. Amen. That's good. Yeah. Absolutely. And on that note of like the spiritual side you'll see on your um, tables this spiritual formation plan packet is like my parting gift to you. So this is an amazing, if you, by the way, if you're registered for the class and you don't have one, please come talk to me. There's more at the table. If you're not registered and you're visiting, I would just ask, could you please just wait till everyone who is registered gets one and then you can have the extra copies. Um, but this is really, and I didn't write this. I can't take credit for it. This other church um, created this. It's awesome. When I first started studying Enneagram, this is literally what like sold me on it. And I was just, it's amazing. Um, the first few pages actually really talk about tying in the gospel and sanctification to our numbers. And then it goes through all nine types, upstream practices, downstream practices, like all the things we've covered is all like concise in this packet. So it's a great resource for you to have as opposed to like, you know, a huge like book or something too. But okay, so let's dive in tonight. So um, I, I found these really cool um, graphics I wanted to kind of look over because it's like back to school time too. Um, but I thought they were really cool. It goes through like for each type. And again, I mentioned this last week. I know we're only talking about 891 tonight, but I want to start off to like lure you all in and talk about all the types. So this is really cool. It talks about like what to highlight for your type, what to write down, what to cut out. It's really, really cute. So cute. I know, Thank and you. I will email you guys all the slides. Forgive me for not emailing you in advance. I have no excuse. I was working on this till an hour ago. So that is why. <laughs> Sorry about it. Um, but I will email this to you guys tonight. So for, I won't go through all of them for each type, but some things I thought were really cool is like for type one, um, sticking with your integrity, highlighting the good in you and others, cutting out perfectionism. Like really good like key practices for each type. Um, for a type two, receiving from others who love you. Um, cutting out people pleasing. Writing encouraging notes to yourself. Um, highlighting the love and how people take care of you. I thought those were cool. For a type three, highlighting your authentic self. Stick with your ability to uplift others. Measure your success by how you bring people together instead of your performance. Oh, that was so key too. Cut out ignoring how you really feel. For fours, I love this. Form a friendship with mundane routine. That was so good. Um, stick with your wholehearted empathy. Highlight only what is true. Cut out emotional isolation. For the fives, stick with being thirsty for wisdom. Highlight what is fascinating in others. 
measure the importance of what you know by how you can use it to help others. And I love this too. Cut out avoiding vulnerability with those you love. Verse six, we said stick with your steadiness, form friendships trustfully, cut out negative thought patterns, and highlight the good in the world and, and in those you trust. For our sevens, we said highlighting how pain can and has shaped you, right? Not avoiding our pain. Stick with your unmatched joy, because they're so positive. Measure your success and satisfaction by the depth of your relationships and connections. Cut out avoiding the boring and ordinary. Type eight, it says cut out isolated self-reliance. And we'll really dive into these three types tonight. Um, stick with your secret tenderness. Highlight the good in those you don't understand. Write how your heart, mind, and body is responding to life around you. And finally, for the nines, cut out complacency. Write to connect your body with your emotions. Highlight what is worth it in the midst of difficulty. And allow yourself to comfort and to be comforted. I'll, I'll send these to you guys too, but aren't those good little practical tips that everything we've talked about? So good. Okay, so tonight, right, we've gone through all, every week based on a triad or a center. So tonight is our final week. We're going through the instinctive center. This is also synonymous with body or gut triad. Um, for some reason, this triad has the most like words to describe it. You'll hear like belly triad, belly energy, body, gut, intelligence. So all those things encompass the instinctive center. I know it's kind of confusing, but these are types eight, nine, and one. And so these three types tend to filter their world through like kinesthetic intelligence, right? Like gut or bodily instinct. They're very primarily driven by instinct. And there is a big desire in these gut triad types for justice. They're driven by this desire for justice in the world. And with that desire for justice, there is this emotional struggle of anger because that justice is not being found or met. And the goal for these types is really how do I manage my anger and my reactions to my anger? And so eight, nines, and ones all um, will display that in different ways. I remember last week we talked about for um, five, six, and seven, for them it's fear, but they describe, they all go through it in different ways. And same thing with this triad. So we tend, this is a, I love this, I'm actually taking this out of a book that I read. It was talking about how the importance of this triad in particular. And I'm just gonna read what he says. He says, we tend to think about interpersonal connections happening in the heart triad, right? Like we think of like twos, threes, and fours, they're the feelers, they probably could connect the most with people. However, without the support of the gut triad, heart-only connections can be superficial. He says, have you ever wondered why is it that we can have a relationship where we're really in sync with each other? We feel like we get each other and they get us, but something happens and all of a sudden we realize we don't truly know each other, they don't truly know us. That's the kind of pattern of a heart-only connection that hasn't been grounded in the gut. So when you're in the gut triad, especially types eight, nine, and one, there's this radical sense of like, I am here. This like grounded presence and this courage that they present in their relationships with each other. And so when we tune into the support of this center, our connections with everything, everyone and everything becomes much more rich, much more full, much more just grounded. It's called umbilicals, and the word the, guy, the author uses to describe it. This is because the belly or gut triad is the ground of who we are. 
So the heart and the head triads, they can ruminate, they can be out to lunch in the past or the future, but the gut triad people, the numbers in the gut triad, they connect us with the here and now, with the present. That's the importance of this triad. So that's why it's very important to be in tune with our body. So just because even if you're not in this triad, remember week one we talked about the importance of all three triads being activated. That's the goal for all of us is even if you're in the head triad, even if you're heart, our goal is to activate all three parts. So let's break it down. So eights will tend to overexpress this gut energy, this anger. Nines are the most disconnected from it, meaning they do a mixture of both underexpressing it and overexpressing it and ones will underexpress it. So what does that look like? So again, we're gonna dive into all three types, um, like their profile of the types, but I wanna first really focus on explaining the gut triad, like what that means, like how they operate in their intelligence. So for an eight, they overexpress their gut energy almost as a way of like ego expansion. There is an externalization to their anger. Um, they, it's kind of like ready access and reserve. It's just like anytime they're ready just to let loose. Um, I always say like, you know, an eight when you meet one, like I think eights are probably the most common types where you're like, okay, like I know you're an eight. Um, the reason this happens, the reason for this overexpression. And again, I don't really believe fully that every type like has a for sure childhood wound, but some people do think that. And if you believe in that type of psychology, the childhood wound they attribute to an eight is kind of like this loss of trust and authority, right? Abiding, um, they lost the abiding trust and their right to be in the here and now. The loss is experienced as something awful was done to them and they feel violated. So there's a sense of like betrayal from a very young age. And so depending on the level of development, like an unhealthy eight might think that the, any good offense makes the best defense. It's kind of like their argument. Um, in other words, they take an adversarial stance towards life. They feel that their sense of self is most supported when they're moving against someone or something. They crave intensity and for other people to match that intensity. And so most eights would probably tell you like, we really don't like being mad, you know, or getting mad, but they do crave an intensity. And so that intensity might come across as anger if you don't match it back to them, if that makes sense. So this might make them look like the angriest type, but they're really not. They're just the most vocal about it. <laughs> Any eights who can speak to this specifically, who want to, if you, I know you guys are going to speak on the panel, but Rach, I feel like you might have something well, good to share. Um, I, I think it comes out for me the most as a parent. Mm. Like, that's probably the thing I surrender to the Lord the most as a parent, is my anger. Yeah. Over the stuff. But, yeah. It's good. It's good. Okay. So that's the Nines are the ones, again, they're the most disconnected. So they do a mixture of both overexpressing the energy and underexpressing it. So nines are actually really uncomfortable. They, they know that there's an anger there, but they're uncomfortable with it and they almost fear it. And so for them, they might even be, deny it. They might be super confused by it. And it's almost like a volcano that's brewing. So there's anger that's constantly slowly brewing inside and suddenly might explode. And it's to the point where if you have a lot of, if any nine friend, if you see them get angry, it's almost like a shock to their friends. Like, whoa, you had that in you? Like, really? But it's like, because that anger has been pent up for so long, it'll just flow out like a, like a volcano because they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> they spend so much time trying to maintain their peace that there's a loss of connection with the healthy anger they should actually be expressing, not repressing. So it's almost like this falling asleep to their anger, again, pretending like it doesn't exist. Um, 
And for knives, their anger is really like hidden to the world. Um, and that can, in their unhealthy selves, you'll hear a lot of, I think it's a big stereotype for knives too, is that they're passive aggressive. But I do think when they are unhealthy, they can be very passive. Because they, and then it, this book I was reading was talking about how like it becomes atom, atomic, like really small, and then there's no denying it, it just explodes. So it's very, yeah, nine's gotta work on kind of just bringing it to the middle. And we'll talk about that in our panel. But for ones, so ones underexpress or internalize their gut energy of anger. So this is an attempt to control their self, self, sense of integrity. So ones kind of got this childhood message that they weren't good enough growing up for whatever reason, just weren't good enough and needed and kind of like are on this mission to be good. And I'll talk about that in a second when we get to the ones. But the wildness of anger to them is kind of like seen as a threat. So they really will repress their anger and they will deny its expression in their lives. Um, think about a pressure cooker, right? It's just continuing, continuing to build. And it's, the more they repress it, the more it builds up and inevitably, inevitably leads to some sort of release. The healthier that ones are, the more comfortable they become with their gut energy and the more likely they are to express it in very healthy ways. And the less healthy they are, the more it's likely to be expressed in very unhealthy ways. Then, and usually for a one, they will totally either like refuse to be conscious of their anger or they will justify their anger, right? They're like, no, well, like it's, you know, I, I have to get angry. Like this is a just cause and I need to get angry about it, right? So I was reading through and I wish I did this for the other types, um, but there's just so much to cover, but this was on my heart to really share with these types tonight is spiritual disciplines for each triad. And three of the main spiritual disciplines for all three triads are solitude, stillness, and silence. And so for gut triad types, the spiritual discipline of stillness is the most important. So what that looks like is not just like being, you know, by yourself, like, you know, with like no music on or nothing like that. It's really just this intentional pause on your life, slowing down, pausing, actively telling yourself to slow down and pause. When an instinct, instinctual type is forced to stop, they realize how overworked their drive to do is. Eight, nines, and ones are constantly driven by this desire to do, do, do. And there's this message for them that the gospel is just like, hey, you don't have to do anything. You can just be, and God still loves you. You can just be. And we talked about that in Protege, actually, a little bit last year. Marissa, you might remember. But just being. Um, so this inner stillness helps the gut triad types observe their compulsions, and loosen this grasp that their ego might have on their behavior. And to take it a step further, there's also three different kind of practices to really like hold yourself accountable with stillness. So for an eight, that looks like consenting to stillness. Eights are so stubborn, love you guys eights, but um, it's really just consenting to it. It's being able to say, yes, okay, like I'm gonna allow myself to agree and stop and to be present in this moment. For a nine, it's engaging in stillness. It's really just saying, instead of, you know, just kind of like mentally checking out into the stillness, it's actually being intentional and prioritizing stillness. And finally, for a one, it's resting in stillness. So letting yourself off the hook if you're a one for not being perfect. Just being like, it's okay, it's fine, right? Like I'm imperfect, that's how we're all made. It's okay to stop fixing everything, themselves included, and kind of take a break from the inner frustration. And for the one, there's just like this inner critic that's constantly talking to them. And we'll, we'll talk about that too when we get to the one, but it's really just, yeah, resting and, and silencing that inner critic. Any questions? Good. So that's the gut triad as a whole. So now let's go through all three. So number eight, the challenger. Okay, so eights, their core sin is lust. 
And I know that, like, you know, especially for us as Christians, that can immediately go to, like, sexual lust. It's not that. It's more of a lust for intensity and for power. Think of it that way. And their core desire is to protect themselves. So, again, we talked about, like, for a lot of apes, there could be this childhood wound of I had to take care of myself growing up. Authority failed me. And there's this general belief of, like, I gain respect by being strong, powerful, and hiding vulnerability. I think something very key also for you guys to know about AIDS is there's a, in their unhealthy self, there's this kind of like a lie they believe that weakness equals vulnerability. AIDS attention goes outward. Again, right, we talked about this like expression of outward anger. It goes towards power to control to extremes and to excess. Um, it's kind of like an all or nothing in attending to what's just or unjust. Because again, remember, they're all driven by this um, desire for justice. And so for an eight, their core fear is being harmed, being controlled, or being violated. So this constant need to be free and protect themselves without being controlled by authority or anyone else around them. Think of like this inner script for them too is it's not okay to trust anyone. They've got to prove their trust to me. It's not okay for me to be vulnerable. That's weakness. Um, kind of same thing I just talked about, but I love these little graphics. So again, core fear, being weak, being powerless. Um, being manipulated, being left at the mercy of injustice. I think that's a really cool thing to think about, too. Other ways to describe AIDS. So AIDS are assertive. They are the most driven and dynamic of all types. Um, they're bold. They're domineering. Very powerful, very protective. Um, they're motivated by a desire to be in control of themselves. Again, we talked about this. Being, avoid being controlled by others. Champions of justice. Very matter-of-fact. I was just telling a friend yesterday, I love processing with my eight friends because they literally just tell you how it is. They, there's no like emotion, and for me as a two, I process so much out of the feelings triad and just like, well, how did this make me feel or how would this be in regards to like my emotions? And my eight friends are just like, yeah, here are the facts. Like, here are the facts, here are the scenarios, here's how it's gonna turn out, like bam. There's no like pretense there and it's very refreshing. Another way you can think about for an, an image statement is this I am a survivor mentality, right? I'm in charge, I protect, I'm like that fierce mama bear. That's the eight. Or papa bear. <laughs> Eights are also this source of strength and determination. There's kind of this need in them to be against. They, they enjoy people who have an opinion about things. So again, I mentioned this like lust for intensity is they might come across aggressive, but it's really because they want you to also have an opinion about something, right? If they're like, if they're feeling strongly about something, like, well, what is your opinion? Like, don't be wishy-washy. Like, what do you think? They're passionate. They're forceful extremists in, extremists in the position they hold. Um, there's a self-survival instinct in them. Again, they're not emotional, but very passionate. Apes hate being slowed down or interrupted. Um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but Ryan always talks, Ryan's an eight, our pastor, Ryan Ingram, and he always talks about like, sometimes he gets in this mode of like bull in a china shop. It's always like what we used to describe Ryan when he's like in the zone, he's just like, I have an idea. It's like 6.30 a.m. Let me like barge into like Chris's office and like have an idea and like talk about it. It's like, just go, go, go. Like, here's my idea, so passionate. Let me just run with it. That's an eight. And so, we talked about song lyrics, right, that for me resonated the most with these types. So this is what I pulled for an eight off of the Sleeping Out Last um, song for eight. It says, I can't let you see all that I have to lose, all I've lost in the fight to protect it. I can't let you in, I swore never again. I can't afford to let myself be blindsided. I'm standing guard, I'm falling apart, and all I want is to trust you. Show me how to lay my sword down for long enough to let you through. 
and I would love for our panelists to kind of like tackle this as well. What it's like for you, it's so deep. But okay, let's get to know eights a little bit more. So again, if you're an eight, you either have a seven wing or you have a nine wing. So eights with a seven wing, the nickname is the Maverick. These types are generally the more extroverted. I think it's interesting now that you guys know all nine types, it might make more sense to you. Like we just learned about sevens last week, right? So those attributes of a seven will kind of go along with this eight and seven wing. So being energetic, um, interested in power, in their unhealthy self, they could be materialistic, they could be egocentric. Um, eight wing sevens, I love this, I listened to it in a podcast, they passionately can over-exaggerate, <laughs> they can over-exert themselves, and they can excessively indulge in their compulsions. Um, this is all, I don't know if this is true, but they're in the podcast they're saying this too, is they're much more cheer cheerful and warm than an eight wing nine. So there's that. And I think hopefully we have both wings, right, tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. So an eight with a wing nine, I don't know why it's called the bear, but sure. They're more mild-mannered. They're gentle, receptive. Again, those qualities of a nine, like peacefulness. They enjoy their comforts, um, and they're quietly strong. Eight wing nines can balance extremes while also still being extreme. Um, eight wing nines are great at finding ways to collaborate with diverse groups of people. They really value diversity, especially on teams. And Felicia is an eight wing nine. She's such an example of that. Yeah, you're nodding your head. <laughs> yeah. So I thought this would be cool to include too, is how do we speak the language of an eight, right? Like if you have eights in your life, how do we speak their language? So here are some tips. Be authentic and direct with them. Again, I kind of mentioned this, but eights really sense phoniness immediately <laughs> and dishonesty. So they really expect, uh, they respect strength, knowing what you believe and why, taking a stance on your opinions. And I love this too, is eights need feedback because oftentimes they might not realize the effect that their energy is having on people. So again, for them, it's just like this passionate intensity and they really value people close to them just giving them this feedback of like, okay, maybe that was a little bit aggressive or like, you know, take tone it back a little bit, like let's relax, let's bring it down from a 10 to a seven. Um, so eights and growth. So what does it look like when eights are integrating, they actually go towards healthy twos. I always thought this was interesting because to me, sometimes eights and twos just seem so different. But what this looks like is eights will actually start to become very much more like emotional and generous towards others. They will have much more empathy. So they won't be so much driven by that anger, but the justice they're seeking is actually driven by an empathy and a generosity. They become much more vulnerable. So they stop seeing vulnerability as weakness, but actually as a strength. Um, Fun fact, Mother Teresa is a mistype two. She's actually a very well integrated eight. Think about her, think about Martin Luther King, all integrated eights. So another way to think about it is they start to levy their like need to be against towards things such as like injustice or poverty or you know, like just just causes. Um, they become much more generous or loving, very protective. Um, another metaphor I read that I love said eights are similar to snow plows. They use their intensity and power to plow a path for those who cannot plow a path for themselves. I love that. They have no problem being the one who takes the hit so others can move forward in life. When they're stressed, they begin to disintegrate towards unhealthy fives. So they can become secretive, fearful. They might fear that others will turn on them and betray them. So again, it's like almost this like sense of like, I gotta be on my own, I can't rely on anyone, it's just me, I'm the boss and they become less in touch with their feelings and withdraw. They kind of revolve their focus around protecting themselves from those from whom they believe are a threat to them. They start to not trust people. 
And what else do I want to read about this? They start to use their intensity and strength in a confrontational way to ward off those who they think are trying to harm them. Kind of like a weird defense mechanism. So the verse for an eight is Isaiah 41.10. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So it's this message of believing that because you have Christ, you are protected and you won't be betrayed. So for an eight, a general practice is putting to death that weakness of lust, right? That leads to seeking intensity and control and fear of being manipulated. Through Christ, you are strong and protected. And to bring to life this desire to know that you won't be betrayed, right? This confidence that you can trust in God and he is your true advocate. You can trust him to always have your back. Self-care for eights. <laughs> so we have things on here, lots of active things. Again, you'll notice, <laughs> so I'll read these first. So adventure takes up a huge chunk of the pie. Cardio, rock climbing, adrenaline, adrenaline release, mm -hmm. helping others, fast cars, <laughs> regular <laughs> retreats, journaling, someone or something to care for, and a healthy debate. So you'll notice that it's interesting that, remember, eights, nines, and ones are all in the gut-body triad. So half of the practices here really have to do with how do you get your body back in sync too. For eights, really like just being active in that adrenaline is super, super important. So there's an equal amount of physical activities to activate your adrenaline, your energy, and then also communal activities that'll help with the empathetic side of an eight, right? Like unlocking that vulnerable, tender side of going to the healthy two space. A way too for us as, as friends to eights, or maybe if you're in a relationship with an eight, is help them notice their intensity and to reduce their impulsivity. Hi guys, come on in. <laughs> Other questions that you could pose to an eight that I think are super helpful is to tell them like, hey, remind, like reminding yourself before you act, like what are the consequences for my behavior that I'm about to, <laughs> that I'm about to embark in? Or you know, what are my long-term goals, not just short? And again, at the very end of it is really just welcoming vulnerability and realizing it's not weakness. So I'm gonna invite our eights up, Felicia, Rachel, and Dino, to talk to us about being an eight. background. So Rachel is an eight wing seven. Felicia is an eight wing nine. Do you know, do you know your wing? Eight seven. Eight seven. Perfect. Okay, good. So just tell us first a little bit about like your experience as an eight. What is like your high level? Like what do you want people to know about you guys as eights? Anyone can take this. Well, well I'll, I want to ask all three of you. Wow, you're not being really eight right this now. This is a weird question. I don't know, like, I don't know how to answer the question. Like, like now that this is my type, like, what do I want people to know about yeah. me? Is that what you're yeah. saying? Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not not mean. I get, I get the B word a lot. Yeah. In, not at yeah. church. <laughs> but just, like, in my life, like, like oh, she, I don't want to be her friend. She's really harsh or, like, mm. yeah, harsh, harsh mean. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm hyper-driven, focused. Uh, everything's goal-oriented, just always go, go, go. Um, I want people to stand in their own power 
And so I, even though I enjoy mine, I would really enjoy everybody's mm. in their own power. Like, don't give it away. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's what I would say. That's really cool. What do you guys think is the biggest stereotype in being a? Probably might have touched on some, but I know who you are. Being mean, harsh. Yeah. <laughs> or like not approachable. Mm. Yeah, the stereotypes are all true, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's what someone said last week, too. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that I don't need help. Mm. I, mean, I can certainly come across that way, but it's not true. Mm. Um, I've had to learn to ask for help. And, um, yeah, I, but I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions, mm. is that I don't need it. That's good. Um, Felicia, tell me about, like, this lust sin playing out in your life. <laughs> Oh wow! Um, yeah, I I I love lots of things. I mean, I also and and one of my strengths is input. So mm. I love information. So the desire for the input of tons of information and like going hard after so many things. Mm. Like I can rarely ever choose one thing that yeah. I want to do or be. And, mm. I mean, I'm going to be 49 next week, and I still have like so many things I want to do. Yeah, and yeah. I think I can get to them all. You can. <laughs> you can. How about you, Dion? Yeah, the last thing is difficult, mostly mm. because uh, it's just constant. I'm always, I'm my brain is always going towards what do I have to do to get to the next thing. So for me, it it's mostly right now at, at work. I'm just always trying to figure out what is the next tactic and strategy and move that I can do to mm. try and get to that next like position of either power or perceived power so that I can continue mm. to like grow and get myself mm. bigger and stronger. Totally. Yeah. Rage. I want to be the best. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So whatever I'm doing, I just want to be the best at it. That's good. I'm going to take this off script for a second, but I want to talk about this like weakness is vulnerability. Vulnerability is weakness thing. Can you guys talk a little bit about that too? And what, and with that, what does it look like when you go into your healthy two where you do see vulnerability as a positive? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think in my life currently, I'm more healthy, mm -hmm. which is nice. Um, so I, I would, I probably do, mostly with my husband is where I've struggled mm. with vulnerability. He was here last week. He's a five. Um, Joel is here. Joel, mustache. <laughs> um, but I think because he's a five and he tends to be more quiet about, like he's like vulnerability isn't his natural state. Mm. Um, that in the beginning of our marriage, I really struggled with that. Mm. Like. I don't need to show you, like, I'm not going to be vulnerable with you if you're not telling me anything. Mm -hmm. Like, why would I tell you all of these yeah. things I'm feeling? Yeah. But as I've grown and become healthier to know, like, he's just waiting for me to be vulnerable. And then he's like, oh, yeah, okay. And, like, we have a very easy conversation, but because I thought he would think less of me. Mm -hmm. Like, that's, so, mm -hmm. is that what you're asking? Like, totally. when vulnerability is, like, weakness, if yeah. I'm vulnerable with someone, then... Maybe I won't get to be on that team, or I won't be asked to do this thing that for me seems important, or my husband won't think I'm strong enough to mm. care for our children, or you know whatever the case may be. If I'm vulnerable and like, oh, this is really hard for me right now, or I'm not feeling confident, then I might lose the position or the whatever the thing is that I'm yeah. doing. But as I've been healthier, knowing like that's not true, right? And people want to come alongside and like. Be helpful. Yeah. In vulnerability. Yeah. yeah. It's good. 
Uh, vulnerability has been really, really brutal for me, especially from the ages of like, you know, early age all the way through 24 when I met my wife. Um, I had a really, really hard time with it, like really hard. I, I could not open up to anybody and I could not figure out why. And I had a big like internal try, like struggle trying to figure it out. Mm. Um, and when I met Ash, she basically like broke me and allowed me to kind of have the co this confidence mm. And just like, I don't care, and she's there, and mm. she allows me to kind of just like be myself, mm. which has allowed me to get into that like healthy mm. space mm. of like, I can with her, especially with her, I can really open up, talk about mm. what's going on, be vulnerable, she, because I know she's just gonna kind of like n not care or not judge me or be, you know, think that I'm bad because of it. So I use her a lot um, to, to kind of allow me to have a safe place. Um, and then I do the same with a few very select friends that I know that I can be completely like opened up with. Mm. Um, mostly because they've seen, those friends have seen me through like all of it. Mm. So yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think, um, so the whole vulnerability thing, I was telling the protégés this this weekend that I didn't even learn how to say that word. Like my mouth couldn't form that word until I was about 31. <laughs> like I hated that word so much I could not even say it. Um, but but um, yeah, I think you know, I mean, just life happens and you, know, you put on your armor and you go through it. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the things that um, that I wanted to share about that was just. My spiritual director told me, she's like, yeah, the path for a, an eight, you know, to health is through vulnerability and a return to innocence. Mm. And I burst out laughing. I was like, return to innocence? Like, that was lost so long ago. What are you talking about? Like, like what? Like, I mean, like, like just the, the idea like, that innocence can be, you know, like, retreated. I was like, what? Yeah. And I've been working with her now for about three years. And I'm getting to the place where I understand what she's talking about now. Like, there's just this idea that um, it's okay to let your guard down with people, but I constantly test people. Yeah. It's really bad. Like, that's the bad part. Mm. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I need to know you're worthy of this. So, like, yeah. And, and some people know that I'm testing them. Other people have <laughs> no idea. Um, but that's, like, that's kind of, like, the downside. But at the same time, for those who pass, like, I can open myself up to mm. them. And, um, but I'm also, like, what... Um, talks about the all or nothing sort of person so I'm also the person who's just like super vulnerable like I just will tell everybody like about my past mm. and my story so that it's just like I don't care what you think mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all out there now mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter what you think so I kind of go at it from that place mm. that you can't and it's kind of like this you can't hurt me with that information because everybody knows right, right? so right. it's like yeah so it's not Same really thing. hidden yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So. Talk to me about this like overexpression of anger in the gut triad for an eight. Do you know if you want to start? Like, what does that look like for you? How do you manage it? Yeah, uh, it's actually funny. I was laughing. <laughs> Kristen is <laughs> chuckling behind me uh, when you were talking because I have actually been given feedback at work that I get angry, um, and that anger is most of the time it's heavily rooted in like frustration because I want to like I'm really excited and passionate and like let's mm. get after it and people perceive that as like anger and irritability mm. which is like 
really confusing to me a lot of times. Yeah. It's like, I don't, like, I, you're, why do you think I'm angry right now? Like, um, so, yeah. I read this quote that was like, I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. I'm just yeah. annoyed. Yeah. 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 So I do love passionate conversations. I, I do, and I'm grateful, and I, I feel like part of the reason that God brought me to awakening is because I feel like young people like passionate conversations, and they're not like afraid of like just going there. So I feel like that's super helpful like, to surround myself with people who are just as passionate about the things I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. Then I don't have to like really go to the, to like the depth of that energy to like force that force because that force comes out because it's like don't you get it mm. like, don't you get why this is important to like be to care about um but yeah uh it, it's definitely scary for people <laughs> i don't intend for it to be um but I, i've spent i spend most of my life i will tell you the hardest thing about being an eight is being a christian and being an mm. it is um it's really hard because people who like the two is like so easily accepted um, because like they're super sweet and kind like mm -hmm. with the nine and the one even yeah. if they are angry nobody can tell <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they're easily accepted whereas I feel like it's it's so hard as a Christian mm -hmm. to be an eight because I feel like I'm holding back so much of mm -hmm. who I am it's exhausting sometimes mm -hmm. to be an eight every day I feel like as I get um, healthier it's not um, but but it still is, because I'm just like, on those days when I really just want to let it out, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh crap, and I'm not worried about how somebody's going to think about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, well, tell me more. Like, how does, what does that look like? Like, so how do you, like, navigate then that tension of, like, I'm a Christian and eight? Like, what does that look like in a healthy way? I think, you know, you just choose justice causes that people can get behind. Mm. <laughs> and they're not focused on the fact that you're angry because it's like, mm. Right, right. <laughs> you know what about yeah, for me, it's a huge amount of self-moderation. Mm. I have to be always yeah. cognizant of my intensity mm. and always bring it way down mm. and talk at a very... <laughs> so, uh, I, which is extremely exhausting. So I'll come home from work and I'll just feel so tired and I'm trying to figure out why it's because I've had to all day long mm. self-moderate yeah. and keep my the, the mm. energy and excitement um, that I want to bring into my job mm. uh, where it's not, that is not well received, mm. uh, especially where I work. That high level of intensity is not something that mm. is, is well received. So Interesting, yeah. Anything for you, Rich? Yeah, I think um, I don't work. So I, it's, I have this weird like balance. I feel like this is a very young group of people. So I'm a stay-at-home mom. Which Good for is you. Like, yeah. Probably yeah. not much which of the group. Which is work. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Marina. Um, it is. But, I, but it's like not my coworkers I'm trying yeah. to keep my anger from. It's my children. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm really weepy as a mom, just FYI. But I feel like when, before I had children in the workplace, being angry well, especially as a female, I've lost jobs for that. But but there is this like part of you that ha that can, like tempers it down. But you're not happy about having to do that. You mm. feel like you're not yourself, mm. and you have to do it to please adults. But with your children, mm. 
I see my anger as more sinful. Mm. It's not the same as like this intensity I might be feeling at work, but I'm yelling at a two-year-old yeah. who doesn't yeah. understand right. why his mom is yelling. Mm. Um, and I'd say I'm, I'm a lot better at that mm. now um, because he's the most precious thing in the world to me. <laughs> and so, and I have two children and I do lose my cool often, but um, to, to be able, I think in this season where I'm not working and the anger isn't justified, um, to be able to look at that as sinful yeah. and say like, it's one thing if I'm, if I have passion for a cause or I'm passionate, but this is like when that rude anger comes, mm. like, and I, and I read things like in Proverbs where it's like a gentle word. Um, I can't remember the exact phrase. I have it like on my mm. uh, wall because it helps me not be angry, but it's like a gentle word brings out, um, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Yes, thank you. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word provokes <coughs> anger, yeah. anger, which yeah. is so true. Like, I so see that when I'm gentle with them, they're good. When I'm good. harsh, anyways. So I notice, for me at least in this stage in my life, um, I, can't just, I yeah. can't just pull back my anger. Yeah. I have to dispel my anger That's and say, like, that, that it doesn't have a place in this mm. world here. That's really good. Yeah. <clears throat> I would just say one other thing when you said about like when you were at work. Diplo diplomacy or diplomatic speech feels so disingenuous. Yes. Mm. Mm. yes. <laughs> I mean, even though it's it may be heard better because you go to the lengths to find it. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I lost the job. <laughs> yeah. And so but but it is like something I've had to learn and as a wing nine, like it comes to me a little bit easier than other dates, mm. but it's still, I mean, it's just grates on me. I'm like, oh, I gotta find a nice way to say this. I just want to say it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, because then we can, I can clean it up later. Um, but I just, I just want you to know if you know any eights that are like working really hard to find a nice way to say something, like compliment that as hard as you can, mm -hmm. because they worked really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like something you're trying to help with, or if it's like a yeah. negative, like you're trying to help with a negative thing, but you don't want to be negative, but it's gonna always feel like it's coming out, and then like you just want to be able to say like, just stop doing that, yeah. just yeah. don't do that, and then everything mm -hmm. will be fine. Mm -hmm. But you can't just say that because then people are like, what? Why are you so mean? <laughs> it's I lovingly I'm saying don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> do you guys have any questions for them? I wish we did this all along. I forgot. I'm sorry, but do you guys have any questions? Hi, yes. I'm David. <laughs> um, so for you guys, like with your struggles at work, do you all work at places where like debate is not like a core tenant? of your jobs, is that like discouraged? Is that why you struggle with it? Here, so I'm, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would say in my family, it's not welcome. Mm -hmm. Like the way I am, like my mom literally told me, and I was, I was a teenager, that she was afraid of me. Wow. Same. Wow. Thank you. Um, yeah. I've gotten like, I don't know where mom came from. Yeah, 17 years old, my mom telling me she was afraid of me. And I'm like, dude, I'm, and I wasn't like yelling or anything, mm -hmm. but it's just because I'm direct. Mm -hmm. And I'm clear about what I want. Hmm. Yeah, that people like who don't know what to do. Hmm. My mom says I tell her she's always wrong. <laughs> My grandma says I can never be right. I'm like, I mean, technically in this moment. Right? <laughs> 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 well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Work for me is uh, debate is highly encouraged, um, but it's 
oh, it's the manner at which they debate. I'm, at my old job, there was another eight, and her and I would just go at it, and it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and just like yell at each other, and we would we'd leave and be like high five each other. <laughs> because we would accomplish yeah, so much, yeah. and the passion wasn't misinterpreted, yeah. it was just, this is who I am, mm. and that's how you are, and we're getting crap down right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and that's, when I can, when I can like really go at it like that, it's so freeing, but um, I can't do that. Mm. I, I have to be diplomatic and calmly explain and let the person know, hey, I actually hear what you're saying and I care, even though I do not. <laughs> just, I mean, that's just the <laughs> real truth of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The job I had before was at a church, and it was not a very healthy church. Um, and so when I spoke my mind, it was seen as um, not respecting an authority, which is why I lost my job. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, it, like when I look, I, I can really transparently look back at that and say I wasn't wrong, but the way I went about it was wrong. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't diplomatic. I wasn't like leaving room for like seeing the best in other yeah. people. I was just like, this is wrong. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that. And it was like, you're fired. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah what, the one thing on that same note that Enneagrams really helped me with is that it's given me a high, much higher level of empathy. Because my, without knowing that other people are different and there's ways, there's ways they handle things, right. I just get irritated. Like, what, why can't you just yeah. talk with me about this? Or yeah. Why can't we just like move mm -hmm. along through mm -hmm. this? But it allows me to say, oh, that person sees things and hears what I say through a completely mm -hmm. different right. lens. Right. And that's actually helped me to be like, okay, I want to get this done. I want to accomplish this. The best way to do that is to understand who that person is, understand how it is they want to be commun or how they want to communicate, and change the modality of how I interact with that person. Great phrase I learned that helped me as an eight is to say back to someone, what I hear you saying is. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> people processing so yeah. different, especially with my husband. Like, mm -hmm. we are so, so different. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, like, what I hear you saying is, and then say what I heard, and they're like, no. That's not what I said. <laughs> then you need to be more concise yeah. in what yeah. you said, because yeah. yeah. what I heard was this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. It's a good tool. It's a good tool. Anything else you guys want to share? And just one last thing. Yeah. I, mean, I heard it once in what you said. Mm. Like you, you'll read a lot of stuff about the Enneagram, and you'll see the eight, and you'll get boss, challenger, lots of different things. But the one I love is in this book, and this was like the very first book I read about the Enneagram, and it calls us the protector. Mm. And I love that because I think our desire for control often is for to protect yeah. either the situation or the person yeah. and the whole idea of justice. And I will tell you, one of my friends said it this way. She's like. She may be a pit bull, but she's the one you want on your side when you're in yeah. the fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's well said. He's good. Um, well, you kind of touched on what I was going to ask. I was going to say, what do you like about being an eight? Like, what? I love it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's definitely hard. I mean, it's a perception. But, I mean, I love the fact that that I do feel like I bring protection to the spaces where I am. I feel like people can trust me that they know if I say I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna like die trying, like I'm gonna get it done. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I think like the fact that, especially at my size, I'm 5'2". <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, 
and yet I don't feel like there's anywhere I don't belong. I'm, I'm rarely afraid of things, and so when I am, like, I get the heck out of there with <laughs> quickness, <laughs> because I'm like, all right, not good to be here if I feel this way, because that's, like, the gut reaction. Yeah. Like, if people know, like, if people are like, oh, yeah, I know Rachel's neat, like, then they can know, like, when I say something, if it's encouraging, I'm not just talking to be encouraging. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not just being like, oh, you look so great today, or I love this about you, or, like, or give a word of encouragement um, just to make you feel good. Yeah. Like it's because I have a strong conviction mm -hmm. to say this is mm -hmm. true and you should know. Yes. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm hyper, hyper goal oriented and focused and disciplined and I, I love that. I <laughs> like the fact that it's like, this is what I want, these are all the things that I want and all I'm gonna do is drop my head and mm. bash my head into a wall over and over and over until I get it done. So I, I just have kind of like embraced that, that I'm okay, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm sorry we don't, but can you guys chat offline? Guys, thank you so much. So sorry. Okay, now we're going to do the nines. So nines are called the peacemaker, and their core sin is sloth. Okay, so it's not sloth in the sense of a laziness. It's more like a self-forgetting apathy, lethargic self-forgetting apathy that they practice with their own needs and desires. So for a nine, if their external world is okay, right, because they value like peace and wholeness so much, then they're like, okay, I'll be okay too. I might self-forget. I might fail to give myself the proper self-care because everything else seems okay. Nines also perceive that they can gain belonging or comfort by attending to others' needs. Um, nines and twos are very similar in that way. So I think nines and twos are, are also those two numbers that could also get very, um, you, you could think you're a nine, you could think you're a two, very similar. The core fear of a nine is being in conflict or tension. They want to avoid that by all means. Um, there's kind of like this image statement that nines say, like it's not okay to assert yourself. So they fear asserting themselves. And so with that, there's also like a healthy conflict or tension that they might be avoiding when they should actually be, you know, diving into that. Again, core fears, being in conflict, being in discord, feeling shut out or overlooked, losing connection with other people. The lyrics for a nine that I picked are, we were born to try to see each other through. To know and love ourselves and others well is the most difficult and meaningful work we'll ever do. <laughs> okay, so for a nine, their profile of a nine. Nines are extremely peaceful, very easygoing, gentle people. Nines are awesome. They're accepting, they're supportive. In unhealthy times, they can be kind of self-forgetting, as we mentioned, maybe a little stubborn. They're motivated by a desire to keep the inner peace by keeping themselves and their environment balanced. So on one hand, this keeps them from engaging their own inner life. And on the other hand, they're able to lower the energy of their environment by calming everyone, by chilling everyone out. Nines are amazing listeners. And this inner statement for them is, I am peaceful, I am calm, I'm drama free. They want to be seen as easygoing and peaceful and may even deny problems. They may even stuff certain problems, like, oh, it's not important, I'm just going to forget about it. <laughs> um, just to cover up kind of like these secret feelings of anger or anxiety they're dealing with. More on nines. So nines withdraw in order to protect their need for autonomy. 
Nines are also very understanding and they make excellent mediators or referees. They have an innate ability to understand every perspective. I think that's really key. Like if you were ever in an argument with a friend, have a nine mediate for you. They're awesome at being unbiased and just seeing both sides. However, this sometimes makes it hard for them to take a firm position on something, especially if others hold an opposing view. So we just talked about with the eights, right? They're like, have a stance, have an opinion. Nines are like, I don't know, I see all the sides. <laughs> I live in the gray, so it's a little different. Mm -hmm. um, if we were to give a childhood wound, per se, to a nine, it's this sense of failure to be acknowledged or being seen through as a child, um, which is why they tend to stay under the radar and make sure everyone else is fine. Nines know how to self-nurture and self-protect, and this leads to like a detached social posture. Um, we talked about how they're the most disconnected from the gut triad, so it might seem like they're the least angry, but again, there's a ton of anger just stuffed in there that they don't really know what to do with. So again, that was the whole volcano metaphor, right, of like all this anger kind of brewing and then ultimately exploding. And when the anger does explode, it catches everyone off guard. And once, nine, sorry, tend to feel almost exposed when they're angry. So there's like a level of like guilt or shame that comes with being exposed. And they're like, oh shoot, like, is this okay? Like, is it okay that I'm having this anger? And kind of like this inner battle, but with, you know, like, is it okay or not? Sorry, I feel like I can't talk anymore, guys. Okay, so getting to know nines a little bit more. So you, if you're a nine, you either have an eight wing or you have a one wing. So nines with an eight wing are called the comfort seeker. So these types are a little bit more outgoing. They're more assertive. I would just learned about not eights being super assertive. So they have that assertive tendency, anti-authoritarian. They may vacillate between being confrontational and conciliatory. Nine wing eights assert their instinctive ability to see through conflict with clarity and compromise in ways that they feel safe and constructive. So again, great mediators. And a nine with a one wing is called the dreamer. So these are usually more introverted people. They're orderly, idealistic, and critical. They can be emotionally controlled, focused, cerebral, and compliant. So nine wing ones are a little bit more firmer with their principles. Um, they give more attention to details, and they have a lot of ethical convictions. And that'll make more sense as we dive into the one, but that's really the one wing peeking out. So how can we speak the language of a nine? So nines generally, I mentioned, they see every side, they speak in a story format. They see every perspective. They consider with a scenario, something that happens, they see all parts of this story. So they want you to join them in the brainstorming. Let them into your inner world. Um, something great to know for nines too is don't press them for action steps. So if you're in an argument with a nine or tension, like don't be like, okay, well, what are you gonna do now? Like, what are you gonna do about that? Like, don't press them for action, but instead welcome the discomfort and the change that they might be dealing with. Give them a chance to speak. Provide them with a supportive environment for taking action and experiencing their anger. Um, it's really important for nines to really to know that it's okay for them to feel the anger and also affirmation that it's okay to share what they're thinking. It's okay if their opinion differs from yours. When nines are growing, they're actually going to go towards healthy threes. So this looks like being more goal-oriented. It looks like being energetic, self-developing, um, you know, seeing their actual goals and fighting for them and being driven enough to accomplish their goals. Healthy nines are fully awake to themselves. They know their voice and their presence matters to God, others in the world. Healthy nines will honor themselves by taking the time to know what they want and then speaking up for themselves. 
that's really key, not falling into the passivity, knowing that God has uniquely blessed them with talents and gifts, and, he, and God wants them to invest in developing themselves. In stress, a nine is going to go to unhealthy six characteristics. So that looks like being anxious, being worried, becoming very testy and defensive with people. Their mind starts racing and inner and inner and internal anxiety increases. So this revolves around keeping other people happy, happy, sorry, so they can have this inner peace and stability. The more a nine accommodates others and forgets their own needs, the more unstable life becomes for a nine. So the life verse for a nine is Ephesians 2.10, which says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this, they need to hear this message that because Christ is in you, your presence matters. God sees you and created you for a specific purpose. So for a nine, it's this daily practice of putting to death that sloth sin, which leads them to suppressing their passions, suppressing their abilities or their worth in order to avoid conflict. Christ is calling you to bless the world with your unique purpose and perspective. So really for a nine, it's like they need to hear that the world does want to hear your perspective. Like even though you're so great at seeing all sides, we want to hear your perspective too. So if you have nine friends, encourage that to come out of them. And then bring to life this core longing for a nine to know that their presence does matter. You can awaken and voice your views, opinions, and desires confidently knowing you are Christ's beloved child. So what does self-care look like for a nine? So, <laughs> I'm going to read them off. So, sleep. Cozy <laughs> Saturday mornings. Fresh air. Mindful breathing and yoga. Time to process and to be. Massages. A fortress of solitude. Doing a whole lot of, a lot of nothing. Routine, siestas, and naps. I love that those are two separate things. There's There's a lot I could learn from that. I want to be a nine now. Just sleeping and going hard. Nothing else. And it's interesting too when you when you look at a nine. Oh wait. When you look when you look at a nine in the self care. You'll see that, again, it all comes back to the body. So again, these are types that are in that body triad. So for eight, nines, and ones, it all looks a little bit different, but really making sure that their bodies are connected to their soul, to their heart, to their mind, that's super important, which is why you see so many things related to just sleep and solitude. Nines thrive when they're well-grounded to their bodies. So building healthy rhythms of self-care that involve physical, tactile, grounded activities can be a game changer for these people. Um, Nines can also find that more than any other type, their external environment dictates their internal sense of peace and harmony. And I want us to talk through that a little bit more. Um, so for them, even like finding a literal fortress of solitude, I think that's why for a nine, like their home is their sanctuary. Like when they're at home, it's just like, this is my place. Or maybe for them, it's like going on a walk or, you know, on a hike, whatever it looks like, that can be profound when it comes to self-care. So really having a place for them, yeah, to ground their bodies is number one self-care for a nine. So with that, I'm gonna invite our panel up, Kristen and Sam, to chat. Thank you. So many questions. Do you guys know your wings? One. I feel like I'm an eight. I'm not totally sure. Okay. Cool. No. 
So, guys, first, I know you said don't go off script, but, <laughs> but I, I, really, I really do want to ask you guys, like, does that resonate, like, this line of, you know, your external environment dictates the internal sense of peace for you? Talk to me about that. Is that true for you? How does that look? I'll go first. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I want to hear what Sam says. Yeah, yeah. I should say, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really true. I think um, if, like, everyone's okay, then I'm okay. Um, and if I feel any sort of tension, then it really impacts me. I'm like, oh, there's tension. Even if it doesn't include me, then I'm not okay. And I need to somehow solve it or figure it out. Yeah, I think for me, like, maybe one way this comes out is, like, I overhear my mom, like, disagreeing with her sibling or my grandma about something, and, like, I want to step away from that, because, like, like, that's not something I would naturally do. Like, for me, as a nine, I think, if, for the most part, like, I don't have a strong opinion about things, um, and so, like, unless I really care about something, I'm not going to disagree with you, because, like, maintaining that peace and that relationship is more important to me than, like, being right. Um, so yeah, and That's then good. specific to that list, I think looking at it, it sounds, I don't know if this is weird, like it sounds stressful for it to like think, because like I like that do-do-do and yeah, go yeah. mentality, but like when I actually do-do this thing, like it's actually really relaxing and refreshing mm. to do. Yeah. And with the whole, sorry, just want to go off. <laughs> With the whole like not having a strong opinion about things, I would think that that's more of a stereotype for nice. But do you guys think that is true for you? Like, do you really just not like? Are you just kind of like, yeah, the peace is more important than having a strong opinion? T tell me more about that. Yeah, I really don't care where we go eat. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. That's yeah. what I can't decide. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think we do have opinions, but I think there's kind of this like threshold of where. I really want to voice my opinion versus keep the peace and accommodate others. Mm. And it really has to be something that I really like care about. Mm. Um, and I think for me is like every like person's desire and opinion is like a point of potential conflict because mm. they could be competing with each other. Yeah. And so when I take my like desires and needs off the table, there's less points of potential conflict. So much sense. Um, so then I'm like, oh, I'm out of it. Okay, I'm good. Like, yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. Totally makes sense. What about you? Yeah, same, it's the same thing. Like yeah. 70, 80 percent of the time, I really don't have strong opinions <laughs> about something. And then, yeah. like, I think as I grow older, like I've learned to like speak up about the 20 percent. Like, when it really does matter, yeah. I yeah. do care about it. That's good. What do you guys think is the biggest stereotype you feel in being a nine? Um, I think that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, like. It's partially true, like, we do engage in conflict, or mm. we do feel angry, just, like, not a lot of times, but we mm. do, like, <laughs> there's that aspect of us. Mm. Yeah, I think um, that we're always sleeping, <laughs> but that's true. <laughs> <just, laughs> uh, yeah, I think, and I also think when people, like, if they're learning about here, they hear, like, sloth, and they yeah. think that nines are lazy, mm -hmm. and that's not true mm -hmm. at all. Yeah, um, absolutely. So and with that, like, so with the root sin of sloth, like, actually naming it as more of, like, that self-forgetting apathy, like, what does that look like for you guys? Like, when you're in your unhealthy self, how does that sin play out? Yeah, for me, I think it look at it two ways. One is, 
like I'm a very present focused person so like if you ask me like what's my five-year plan I'm like mm. eh, I don't know like I don't really care <laughs> like I'm happy yeah. I guess I really like the word complacency that you have yeah, on that one side yeah. where like like complacency is probably more accurate than like mm. it's like a fake contentment I have mm. but it's actually probably more like complacency and then I think the second part is like we focus so much on other people it's easy to forget like I matter and like I doubt yeah. myself sometimes yeah. or like I don't I forget, like, like we are all like fearfully, wonderfully made, and like we're important. Like we add value to yeah. our work, or friendships, relationships, whatever. That's good. Yeah, I think um, I mean, it's kind of echoing what yeah. we talked about earlier, but keeping the peace and like accommodating others, it's easier to just like kind of forget that I do have opinions and that I do have these wants and mm-hmm. needs and desires. Um, it's easier to just kind of literally forget that <laughs> right like this is embarrassing someone was asking me like oh what's your favorite like movie or something mm. and I was like uh I just don't know the answer because if someone asked me to pick a movie I'd be like okay what is everyone gonna agree what is everyone in the room gonna like and I would pick that movie yeah and it's not yeah. because I really just want to watch it mm. so I'd literally just like forget <laughs> this was a couple years ago and I started a list on my phone, like a note of like my favorite things, like my favorite movie, this, like favorite book, and so it's like I just like didn't think about it, like didn't think to just like create those opinions because I'd much rather let other people have their like right. Yeah, it's good. How about stress and health? So going to that three and that six space, what does that look like for you guys? For go stress first, I think for me it's like thoughts going 100 miles per hour in my head, like like this is never gonna like change or like, mm. and then that goes into like apathy or like detachment from things. Like at work, I've like, been a little stressed lately. Like I literally go, like I, my desk is on the third floor, the second floor is pretty empty. I walk downstairs, sit in like the corner of the office where there's nobody to like just yeah. disassociate yeah. myself from like mm. things happening at the office. And so thinking stress looks like that and growth it looks like I have a vision for like like a health goal a fitness goal and like I chase after that that's and good. like change certain aspects of my mm-hmm. habits and mm-hmm. go after it that's good yeah I definitely agree I think stress to go to six so I definitely get like anxious and even more indecisive mm-hmm. and second guess myself on everything um and then it's like the worst case scenario um just always playing in my head um, especially as it relates to like potential conflict or yeah. um, like separation with friends like oh how do they like are we good like I don't know I can't tell is yeah. there a conflict like should I yeah. done something different um, but then in growth um, I definitely feel more like goal oriented action oriented I'm doing things I always have like to-do lists but like they're actually checked off mm-hmm. and they're not just like the busy work stuff yeah. it's like yeah. the actual important things that I need to do mm-hmm. um, are getting done and they have like healthy habits and routines. Okay. Kristen I'm gonna ask you this one what how do you can you explain more of that gut energy of like being disconnected as a nine from the gut energy so the overexpression of anger paired with underexpressing it? Yeah I think what anger? <laughs> um, yeah I think that's kind of what I always, like, I don't get angry, and I, I don't express that I get angry, a mm. lot of things can bother me, but like I said, I'm really good at kind of like packaging it up and yeah. like diminishing it, making it smaller, um, and uh, like 
giving people the benefit of the doubt mm. with everything. Um, like, oh, they probably didn't mean it that way. Yeah. Um, just because, like, even if they did mean it that way, yeah. <laughs> um, just, like, keep that in there, like, peace. Like that, oh, we're good. Um, and then when it comes to anger, so I think, yeah, it definitely, like, affects me, but I kind of just push it down and forget. Mm. And I heard someone describe it, like, you know Black Panther's suit? How it just, like, absorbs all the things, and then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, and so I was like, oh, I didn't know that that was all, like, stored up in there. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I didn't either. Yeah. Um, but it does come out, and... Um, in like simple way and it could be like something simple that like sets it off and I'm like mm. oh no I've been angry about this 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 yeah, this this yeah. and then all of a sudden it comes out and, and like people are like why didn't you say something earlier so um yeah that's definitely something that it's it's a struggle yeah. um because I feel like I can like forget it and repress it, mm. push it down that's until nice. it so. Sam for you how do you mm-hmm. see God at work in you like is your best self as a knife yeah I think for nines, we're pretty non-judgmental people in general, and mm. so it's easy to create a safe space for people to be themselves, mm. share about like their past or whatever, mm. and just like love them that way, yeah. much like Jesus kind of like loves totally. all of us despite our messes, right? Mm. So in that way, I'd say. That's good. Yeah. Do you guys have any questions for nines? Yes, James. Um, I want to know some of your Sorry. Do you I like? Like, what is your favorite movie? Oh, it's complicated. Yeah. That's the name of the movie. <laughs> That's not my answer. You know, like, what is, I, I know in the beginning, uh, Sam, you said, uh, like, you know, most of the time you're not going to argue about something unless mm-hmm. it's something you really care about. Yeah. But it's something that you do care about. And then, <laughs> it's a good maybe question. Movie, I'm interested, but also, like, something, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. something that would get you passionate. Uh, no, it's not personal. I just like I struggle to think of an example. <laughs> <laughs> Let me consult my list. No. <laughs> I mean, I think like the gospel. I mm. think I'll stand up okay. for what I believe in, um, and that's something that I'll engage in healthy yeah. <laughs> um, debate, I guess, mm. over. Um, do you have like if that does come up in some situation, do you feel hesitant at all? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, especially as a nine, we kind of talked about this, but like, I can see all perspectives, mm-hmm. and so I think it, and I can agree and find validity mm-hmm. in them, and so I can really empathize with someone who's not a believer has a different belief mm-hmm. than me. And I can gauge how to engage with them yeah. without coming off too, too harsh or mm-hmm. too, and I can kind of meet them where they're at in that conflict. So good. Sure. I think maybe examples will like come up at work where I know we can't or need to do certain things and people see it the other way. And like I know in that case there's more of a right or wrong answer than like a gray area. And so mm-hmm. in that case like I'm more likely to stand up for what I think is what we ought to do. And what, what are you, what's your career? Oh, I'm a product manager, which actually makes my job hard. So I work with like <laughs> engineers, designers, uh, marketers, whatever, basically to build products, software products to ship to people. And so. That one of the struggles is like 
one engineer manager will say like we got to work on this project because mm. of these reasons and another product manager will say like we need to work on something else because oh. of these other reasons and like I'm like yes I have two quick questions. The first one is, all the sleeping that you guys do, is that because it's like exhausting to be awake and have to deal with other people's opinions? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. I think it's, and I don't think we realize it really, at least I don't. I'm like constantly gauging like conflict radar, like mm. where's their tension? Yeah. How do I like stop it before it starts? Mm. And how do I like kind of mold what I'm gonna say or not say so that we're in like the waters are still. So yeah, I think that's exhausting. And then my second question was, do you guys have roommates, either of you? No. So yeah. then my question for you, do you love when you come home and no one's home? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. What is, so for me, I feel like I don't really have a strong political opinion about like leaning one way or another typically but I have a lot of friends and my parents who do and sometimes if I do disagree with them I don't know how to articulate it nicely like how would you guys like advise the peacemaker aspect of that I think I just don't get into this conversation <laughs> 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 like I'll just listen but like I don't really like especially using politics as an example like I don't really have a stance on a lot of things or like mm. care enough to like have a stance. Not that that's like <laughs> right or right, but it's just like I don't know. But it's not the best Lots answer. Of yeah. I think yeah, and I think like you said, you said you listen. I think listening is a big part of it, um, and being open um, to different perspectives. If, if you don't feel like engaging, you don't have to. I think you yeah. have to yeah. engage yeah. in that. It's, I really think it depends on the situation and the people that you're talking with. Because um, I, I do know those can be like sensitive topics, especially at work, to talk about those types of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like for that or like in work or life in general, like what I found helpful is to acknowledge the like perspective of mm. the other person and say like I understand them, even if I don't mm. agree with them, and start with that first, and then like go into what I believe. Okay. Cool. Yes, Gabby. So. Whenever you have been in a situation of like confrontation and like you had to do it, like how did you know that you were doing it out of like a healthy place rather than like out of anger? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> Still working on it. <laughs> I'm just asking because I like struggle with that a lot. So I never know like when the right time to confront someone is because I feel like it's always out of anger. And so then, but then I think I'm also convincing myself to like not confront because I don't want to do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, it's a yeah. delicate like, yeah. balance. I don't know, I think it depends on the, the situation. And like being angry isn't necessarily bad either. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's such a stark difference because we, we both struggle with that like same desire, but like you're not having conflict overrides that. Like whereas my yeah. response is, we don't have to talk about this, but and then tell my whole opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we don't have to talk about this. Yeah, and yeah. In silence. Yeah. Which, I'm like, man, I can't do that. Like, I cannot do that. Yeah, we're not. Allowed to do that. 
Interesting. Other than, is Austin our only one in this class? Is there anyone else? Okay, good, good, good. Okay, good. Yeah. With, I did not think that would be the case. That's interesting to see the, the, the diversity. Um, okay, so ones. Their core sin is anger, and their core desire is to be good. So, again, and this is interesting, right? Because there's anger all over the triad, the gut triad, which you just talked about. For a one, they're in the gut triad. They struggle with anger, and their core sin is anger. So it's like double anger on top of each other. So for a one, it's really like they believe that they're right, but it's their own subjective reality of what's right. So it's not always an objective, like right, but they always want to be good. Type ones are, again, the underexpressed type of anger. So it's if you were to put it in like psychology terms, you'd call it repressed anger. So the type one may not be fully aware of how their anger come across. It's very apparent to other people. So ways that you can kind of spot a one in their unhealthy self is being un uptight or tight-lipped, having a very determined gait um, when they're subconsciously expressing their anger or frustration. A childhood wound for a one might have been that they felt heavily criticized when they were younger, um, maybe that they weren't good enough, or kind of being told it's not okay to make mistakes. So there's a fear in a one of being bad, quote unquote, or defective. So wanting to be good because they don't want to be bad, because they fear being bad. So ones can sometimes perceive that the world or God judges or punishes all bad behavior and impulse. <coughs> So they come to believe that they gain their worth through being good or correcting error. And then they develop resentment or this suppressed anger over their bad behavior they witness in themselves or other people. So a lot of one's attention goes to focusing on what is right or wrong. It's like a constant self-monitoring. Um, think like they are, they're always thinking, I have to behave responsibly. I have to get it right. And we talked in the beginning about this, but there's this constant presence of an inner critic in ones that really threatens their self-esteem of like, you have to be good, you have to be good, you can't mess up. It's ones see everything in extremely black and white. So again, there's fears of being wrong, being bad or evil, inappropriate, unredeemable or corruptible. So getting to know ones a little bit more. So ones again are attracted to goodness, they value goodness. To them, life is about doing your best and setting high standards, high goals. Um, a lot of ones I know are extremely high achievers. They're very smart, always did well in school, straight A student, 4.0. Ones are very rational, very black and white. There's a fear of failure in a one, so they're very perfectionistic. Ones can be critical and practical. I'm going to touch on this, but motivated by this desire to be good and to be righteous, to uphold their own personal standards of what it means to be good, and they elevate the standard of excellence for all things and all people. So really, they, they're kind of thinking like, how can I reform what is broken 
and be a blessing to other people. It's why they're called the reformer. They want to reform what is broken or bad and turn it into good and to be a blessing. And yet this can also become a burden for them, which leads to a lot of anger and guilt. And something to note too for ones, it's not all about others. So I think a lot of times there's this, you can see ones, it's like, oh my gosh, they're so judgmental. They're so black and white. But really they continually, again, they have that inner critic talking to themselves. So they continually can be disappointed in themselves with their own standards. They're constantly trying to get what's right or what's wrong. How can I be good? How can I be seen as good? So it's really in themselves as well. It's not hypocritical at all. Ones cling to their adherence of rules, like a security blanket. And so, yeah, there's this constant wound of never being good enough, which I want our panel to discuss in a sec. So this leads to a constant frustration with people, always expressed in anger. And it's not rage, but kind of like an extreme annoyance that everything around them is flawed. They put an unrealistic pressure on themselves to be the one, sorry for the typo, to be the one to fix it and correct everything. So the image statement for a one would be like, I am right, I am good, I know best, and I want perfection. So ones want to communicate to the world that they have it all together, that they're competent, that they're good, that they're moral. And even though on the inside, they might not even feel that because that inner critic is constantly going. And realistically, I think for a one, two, it's like you can never be perfect. So when does the critic stop talking, right? It's constant, which is exhausting. So song lyrics I picked for a one says, I want to sing a song worth singing. I'll write an anthem worth repeating. I want to feel the transformation, a melody of reformation. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what does a one look like with their wing? So if you're a type one, you either have a nine wing or a two wing. So type one with a nine wing is called the idealist. So these are a little more chill, more relaxed types. They can tend to be more introverted, cerebral little bit impersonal or detached. Um, one wing nines are very understanding and accepting of people and themselves. A one with a two wing can also be called the advocate. So these types a little bit more warmer, very helpful. They could be a little bit more extroverted or vocal, fiery, um, action oriented and can be controlling in their unhealthy selves. So their one wing, the one wing twos kind of view their drive for excellence as this gift to other people. But like, I'm giving you this gift of excellence. <laughs> so how can we speak the one's language? So few tips. Share their values of integrity and honesty. Take time to pray with them. Their inner, again, we mentioned their inner critic never stops talking. So really let them know that it's okay not to be perfect. If you have a one, a one friend, it's just constantly letting them know that it's okay to not be this ideal of good, whatever it is, right? Because none of us are good. There's no such thing as perfection. Take them out into nature. Help them laugh and celebrate the little things. Remind them of God's unconditional acceptance and love. Also, I think something really important too is letting ones know that you forgive them. Oftentimes, ones hold on to past mistakes that they made that you probably forgot about, but you have to let them know, like, yeah, you're forgiven. That's like off the table. So letting them know that that's just done with. The verse for a one is Psalm 86.5, which says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. So remembering that because Christ is in you, you're good, and he makes you righteous, right? Our righteousness is solely because of the Holy Spirit, not because of anything we can do. So for a one, it's this practice of putting to death this weakness of resentment that leads to constant frustration or dissatisfaction. Remembering that through Christ, we are made perfect or sanctified. And then bringing to life their heart's core longing to know that they're good, that they've been forgiven through Christ and his righteousness is credited to them. 
They are new because of Christ. So what does self-care for ones look like? Well, we keep talking about, right? Telling the critic, no, silencing the critic, just being, finding beauty in nature, journaling, act a fool, let loose, <laughs> let go of what's on the outside of your, outside of your control, give yourself permission to care for yourself, create order from chaos, finish that one thing you've been avoiding because it's not perfect, making lists. And again, for this too, as you'll see, there's an equal number of practices that remind the one the beauty of nature and also to set boundaries, right? To let go of that ideal of what it looks like to be perfect. When ones are growing, they're gonna go towards healthy sevens, which is actually really cool because then it lets the one just really let loose, like the active fool we just talked about. So they'll go into the healthy seven type of, you know, having that playful energy. I think about it like they let themselves off the hook. Like, okay, I can just imagine, I can dream, I can be less self-critical. Um, there's sparked imagination. There's renewed dreams. They become more optimistic and more spontaneous. And when ones are under stress, they're going to go towards unhealthy four. So that leads to becoming alienated and moody when they sense others do not take them or their values seriously. They can turn their anger inward and become depressed and allow themselves indulgences, but then experience a lot of guilt afterward. So ones, and also in their stress, they can start to believe this lie that they're all alone in this desire. To the, they can almost think like, I'm the only one who values excellence. Like no one else gets it except me. It's just me on my own. And they go to that unhealthy for place of internalizing everything, and they can become moody, irrational, etc. So we have a pro on our two pros on our panel. So I wanted to save more time for them to talk. So I'm gonna invite Austin and Lauren to come up and share with us. If you want to share your disclaimer, feel free. Okay, so my disclaimer is that I'm technically a two, but I really thought I was a one for a while because and Nas and I have discussed this a lot. So I kind of have been like reading up on the one to make sure I'm like giving you accurate information on the one because my fear is that you'll have inaccurate imperfect information on the one. So that's my mistake. What's up, I'm Austin, and I'm a one wing nine. Love it, guys. Okay, so talk to me about just being a one. What are your initial thoughts, stereotypes, anything? So initially, I was very apprehensive to even taking mm -hmm. something like the yes. Enneagram because I don't like the feeling of being put in a box. Yeah. Hell yeah. Because like she mentioned, being a one, which uh, some things say either the good person or the perfectionist mm -hmm. is another title that a lot of uh, tests will title you as. I don't like being put in a category that uh, says, hey, this is who you are. Says, yeah. No, I, I don't feel that way. Mm. I feel like I'm a percentage of a lot of things. Mm. But what has been, I think, really beneficial in one being last is it's given me that perspective that everything, all the other numbers have value mm. to actually connect with because my subjective perspective that I'm, that my moral compass is the only one is not correct because mm. everyone has a different lens. Like, yeah. We all have different lenses to the camera mm -hmm. of light that we see. Um, but going off it being a perfectionist, the title that, or per perfectionist or good person, mm. um, being a one, I'm always striving for not peace in the sense of making sure everybody's happy, 
but making sure there's not conflict with me hmm. and others. So hmm. the relationship that I have with everybody is hopefully pretty neutral or positive. Yeah. Is almost the goal that I'm, I've inherently tried to achieve if you've ever interacted with me or that's kind of the, the inner inner voice that you might, I might not necessarily hear in my head is to make sure that everybody doesn't have a beef or any issue with me. That's good. Mm, what about you, Will? There's so much I want to tell you guys at once. Um, <laughs> but to be concise, I wrote some things down on my planner because that's, um, I want to make sure I can communicate just the things that I wanted to say. So I feel like for ones, we all probably have some ones in our life and they may be easier to recognize in like a work scenario where they're like very like detail oriented and like perfectionistic and like mm. can go back and sometimes can be seen as like micromanagers at times. Mm. Um, I know my family definitely sees me as a micromanager, especially in stress. Like I remember being like, even when I was like 10, like we had guests coming over and I was like scrubbing the walls with a toothbrush, like making sure everything was perfect. Like. The other day I had people over and I had to go mow the lawns because I wanted to make sure it was perfect so that people would have the best time before coming over. And so like even like little things, I feel like once try to, um, and can display God's excellence and like the way that he calls us to live through their life. And I don't take that calling like lightly. I take it very seriously. And so like when Nash was saying how um, like once have this sense of like um, kind of like sadness and disappointment about the world and how it could always be better, but people just aren't meeting that standard. Mm. It can be really a hard world to live in for ones and how um, just feeling this constant disappointment, which mm. kind of comes off initially as anger and just this like stress and this resentment that slowly grows of like, you're not doing the right thing. You're not playing your part. You're not upholding your, mm. especially being in the Christian world because we are like, we have high standards to uphold yeah. um, that are not easy, especially when we're pulled by the world too. And, and so I guess just like taking that, seriously and sometimes not feeling like other people share that and that's like moving to that kind of depressed place of four mm. um but i think just to know for the ones in your life like one's had it really hard on the inside like there's a constant critic that does not stop talking so like it's like leaving a social scenario like a social interaction i'll be like oh i should have said this i did that wrong like just constantly like, getting myself down and then going into like a shame spiral mm. if it's really bad um if there's something i can't go back and change like if i can like text someone and like say sorry about something, yeah. like I will. But if it's like something that I may, thought I may have offended someone or offended God, that's like a huge, huge thing. I don't take that lightly. So mm. um, I remember like growing up and I grew up in the Catholic church. And so I remember like confession was like my most, like I hated it because then someone would know that I was like secretly bad and they would discover that mm. I wasn't a good person. Um, and so I remember like at one point thinking I had lost my salvation mm. and like being like, God will never love me. Like for something that wasn't even super serious, but I was just so convinced that I was bad. Mm. And that like bothered me so much. I like, couldn't sleep. It was just like so heavy on my heart because I was like, all I want is to be good and accepted and loved. Um, so I think for like the ones in your life, like to, to remember that like they're, they have the, this really, really high standard for themselves to uphold. And so yeah. they need a lot of grace and they are very sensitive too, to any kind of like type of criticism. Mm. So like job reviews, like um, employment, employee analysis are like really hard for me because I get really anxious and I'm like, one little thing they could say negative is like something to improve I'm like fixated on that like I suck I'm terrible yeah. so just like remembering to like encourage ones and praise them and then relay information really softly that needs to be corrected they can take it but just yeah. so that it's like in a very gentle way that's good how do you guys see anger as your root sin playing out in your life 
So I really liked the analogy you mentioned of pressure cooker. Mm. And I've seen, I saw that in several different uh, descriptors of one's intensity. Mm. And although like anger is the root of sin, but it's also what the root of fear, mm. and it's mentioned a lot with ones. Yeah. Um, but I saw the descriptor titled intensity like a pressure cooker, whereas if you don't necessarily know how to use a pressure cooker and you try to open it or uh, have too much heat way too fast or way too slow, it's just going to explode. Mm. Um, and so there, but kind of like when you grow with maturity, say like with a one I've noticed as I've gotten older and learned how to deal with interpersonal um, tension, that I've learned how to mitigate the man, uh, the anger or the frustration with, say when someone has say a different, differing point of view that they're super stubborn with. Um, or if you're in a work, workplace kind of uh, tension where you're having to make decisions and work with people that uh, are also very stubborn and have their head, have their mindset set on one path. Um, learning how to kind of diffuse, I don't want to say like be political or apolitical, but learning how to work with others has really um, helped kind of learn how to slow down the intensity mm. and kind of have that fear of, which I think also kind of goes to the, the fear of exploding and not wanting to get there, mm. learning how to uh, stockpile lots of coping mechanisms mm. so that you never really explode. Yeah. Um, which, like for those who know me, I barely ever get angry or really uh, like blow a fuse per se. Mm. And it's often kind of like the cool, calm and collected uh, desire to always appear like everything is put together just properly. Mm. Um, which goes back to there's the inner voice always uh, criticizing how I'm perceived, but it's mm. not necessarily with the thought that other people are judging me. Because mm. I kind of care less what people are thinking about the actions I'm taking, but mm. with the desire of, or the desire to be perceived that everything I'm doing was done intentionally. I see. Um, mm. I can keep going, but I'll just <laughs> well, let's, now. Yeah. We're going to go like 10 minutes over, guys, just FYI. Sorry. We've ended early every week, so we're going 10 minutes over today. <laughs> For me, the um, core sin of anger um, is not really explosive either. It's kind of a slow-growing weed that I can, that I've started to notice quicker now that I'm more aware of it, but it can start off as like, so I have these like moral standards that I try to uphold the best I can, and then I also have expectations of others. And so it's kind of like an unmet expectation. So something I've realized that I really have to do is communicate that expectation. Mm. For example, like if I'm like driving someone for a long distance, like it's really appreciated that they chip in for gas. Mm. But I have gotten bitter at times when I haven't stated that expectation and nothing happens. I don't mm. get any gas money and mm. I feel really um, like they kind of violated me morally. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm like, how could they do that? And then this like little weed of anger starts growing. And to me, everything has like a, every action has like a moral, like a moral value, value or like a moral, um, like motive to it. Yeah. 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 Like, like little things that I don't think people do intentionally. Like 
I just assign like moral value to it, and like my inner J, Myers Briggs, like my inner judger is kind of like, um, like will assign value very quickly to things that I see people doing, and that's something I've tried to kind of like slow and like told my body like you don't need to assign like moral judgment to this to that as quickly as I want to, um, and maybe it's also a protective mechanism of like. I see them doing something that's bad, therefore they're a bad person. And it's such a quick conclusion. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I need to slow that and remember that like my body's not in this like stress state where I like have to make that conclusion that quickly. Mm. But I think it's kind of a survival instinct. Um, so kind of just like allowing myself to hang out in the gray area more rather than like being super black and white. Mm. But I think definitely communicating my expectations when I notice the bitterness starting to form and not internalizing it and like withdrawing in that force space of just like being kind of like sad about the fact that no one can like help meet my needs. Yeah. So I think just like verbalizing that and like not letting it, um, when I start to notice that it's like bringing distance in a relationship to be able to like communicate that in a way that's like, um, not assuming of someone's motives because I'm mm -hmm. very quick to assume that this mo this person's motives are like not good. Mm -hmm. So I'm really learning to like slow the critic towards others. Um, but for ones, it's like primarily towards me. Like mm -hmm. it's not going to be on anyone else until it's like first been like on myself to yeah. an exponential degree. Mm -hmm. So I want to throw it to you guys. What questions do you have for ones? I have all mine, but I mean, yeah. So Alicia is a near one. <laughs> yeah. My boyfriend's a one and I'm an eight. Oh. So I'm like totally like clicked in right now. Like way too much, I think, but it's fine. Um, so my question to you is like, how do you deal with her? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, okay. so, like in a positive uh, way. Right. Like, so in a nutshell, <laughs> oh my God. in a nutshell, <laughs> let me just like start this off. Okay, okay, when we started dating, like, he, I remember, like, he would take me places, and I kept remarking to him, like, we're going on this hike, and I haven't asked you where we're going, how long it's going to take, like, what to pack, like, I've never been here before, and I was telling him, like, you don't understand what a big deal it is mm -hmm. that I'm allowing you to lead me, mm. yeah. and and like it took him a long time to like really fully understand that I don't let anyone mm. like take the lead <laughs> or have control. So yeah. it was this, it was a huge thing. Mm. And um, one thing that I was reading in the description of eights was that it's not that we always need the power, always need to be in control, but that we seek like we're okay turning over control if we see someone as a capable leader. And so for me, I think like I've be I have been wronged and I have been let down so much by the people, especially like family and in my life who were like supposed to be setting the example of what it meant to lead me or what it meant for me to like trust someone to lead me. Like I've been let down so much that um, when I met him, like a that was really it was really like hard in some aspects, but also it took me the longest time to realize that like everything he's doing is like actually trying not to upset me. Mm -hmm. So when, he, when something would happen, like he, I could tell he genuinely had no idea that he did something wrong, that he's always trying to do the right thing, like always. So for me, it's been a lot of like reminding myself constantly that it's like, okay, like I'm upset, but like he, he didn't know, he, did, he definitely didn't know. Like, you know, it's just like yeah. telling myself that and um, he's a really good listener. 
So I think. <laughs> I can tell. Um, <laughs> I can so tell. Yeah. Right. So one, uh, one can interact with everybody, whether it is in a relationship. Um, and I'd say one gives everybody the benefit of the doubt, and not always. But give everybody the benefit. At least I give everybody the benefit of the doubt and hear them out because they should be able to defend and explain themselves for the, the choices they've made. And once you've fully heard where someone's come from, kind of bring it back to the objective, because the, the nine is super objective. Um, and so at least for me being a one-wing nine, mm. bring it back to an objective perspective that they've kind of shared their case and let's now discuss how can we best move forward mm -hmm. to establish the best course of action to move um, to be productive. Mm. Um, and I know that nature has been listed in nearly every slide mm -hmm. um, for every type as mm -hmm. a not a coping mechanism, but a self-care in self-care in the self-care slides. And mm -hmm. for me, I know that whether I'm in the healthy side, the stressful, not so healthy side, nature has a spot. And mm -hmm. when it's come to um, better interacting with somebody who might be on, say, the negative, um, not the negative, but when you're trying to form a bond or a connection with somebody who's a different number. Um, meeting them where you have mutual ground. And mm. so for me, um, at least for at least, you know, we both dive, scuba diving. And that summer, yes, I'm also wearing a dive shirt. Um, that's a, a very neutral place where you can share ideas and um, both be looked at evenly. And for me, I, I really like to be able to meet somebody where they're at um, when it's a very objective playing field to understand who they are, mm -hmm. as opposed to um, meeting somebody where they're, nece they're necessarily in their strength, um, and then somebody's in a superior and inferior mm -hmm. uh, standpoint. Mm -hmm. That's good. Any other questions? I, I, can, I can go on from one question for a very I'm, long time. But I'm going to actually ask you guys to stay up here, and whoever okay. wants to hang, we can stay. But just to respect you guys this time, if those of you have to leave, I'm just going to like really quickly finish up the final thought. And if you guys are OK, hang in for a sec, because I want to keep this dialogue going. But I really just had it on my heart as we close. First of all, I wanted to say thank you guys for, I hope you had fun. Um, but the, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. No, but really, like, I just was thinking a lot about this, and I felt convicted to share this. It's like, at the end of the day, you know, we were here, we're learning all about personality, and I wanted us to come back to what we talked about the first class, which was, remember, the difference between personality and character, what I touched upon. And I want to just go back to that, and that's how I want to end the class, is, you know, we, oh, what did I have here? It can be really, like, we might be here tonight, and we learned all about everyone's different personalities, right? And there might be people in your life where you're like, man, it's really hard to, like, live with this person or work with this person. Like, personality, personality traits can be hard to put up with, and yet character matters more, right? And so with all of this development in our personalities, it's awesome, and Enneagram is such a good tool, but my prayer is really that it would all always bring us back to the fact that character formation and growing in the fruit of the spirit is really what our desire of our hearts should be. And 
I think that there can be a lot of, like, even sitting here talking about, like, when we're in stress or when we're in growth, like, there's a lot of things that might be yucky. You know, I talked about in the first class, I was like, be open to the yucky. It's all about self-awareness. But I never want any of it to seem condemning or anything. And so this concept of grace kept coming back to me. And I was praying a lot about it this morning, and I literally was like, God, will you just please, like, I needed a verse to really convey what my thought was on this. And God totally gave me um, the verse. And it's Ephesians 3, 6 to 9. It's long, but... Please listen to this. It's so good. Paul is saying, here's the secret. The gospel of grace has made you co-heirs of his promise through your union with him. And now you become members of his body, one with the anointed one. So we see even in the first verse, all of us possessing all these different traits, all the different ways we tick, we're all members of one body, which is Jesus, right? We all have different parts. And he continues to say, Paul, I've been made a messenger of this wonderful news by the gift of grace that works through me. Even though I'm the least significant of all his holy believers, this grace gift was imparted when the manifestation of his power came upon me. And this is the key. Grace alone empowers me so I can boldly preach this wonderful message. So I just want to like proclaim that there is so much grace here for wherever you're at. You could literally not grow or you could be in your stressful side of your number for the rest of your life and God still loves you the way you are. And I just want us to remember that, that we're here because of grace. And because of that grace, we're empowered to preach the good news. And that's the goal of why we're here, right? So I don't know. That's I'm just passionate about it. And yeah, and then he continues says my passion is to enlighten every person to this divine mystery it was hidden for ages passed until now it was kept a secret in the heart of god and so that secret's been revealed to us so yeah my prayer is just that this class kind of shined a light on personality but it makes you it allows character to eclipse personality amen. that's my shoe yes. amen <laughs> Good job.